Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Boy, do we have a game to recap for you this week. Titans opened the season on Sunday at home against the Arizona Cardinals, and they were absolutely awful in every imaginable way. Christian Fulton was pretty good, I thought. Vrabel made that comment. He was maybe a a silver lining. Everything else stunk. Uh, And it's hard to decide, guys, what to go into first. Do we start talking about how how Taylor LeJuan looked like Will Svitek? How Todd Downing looked like um, Terry Robisky? Do we talk about the fact that uh, Laurel Murchison out-snapped Danico Autry, and today Terrell Williams said, yeah, that was by design, and that's going to happen sometimes. All right, where, where do we start? I don't know, uh, to be honest. Um, we could start just by saying that the Titans got completely out-coached, and in turn they got completely outplayed, uh, and it definitely showed up um, on Sunday, and it was pretty embarrassing, especially when you get a home opener against a team like the Cardinals that that have had hype in the past, but are kind of like a middling team uh, with a good quarterback who can be great, but really hasn't shown to be elite yet in the NFL. Uh, And you come into this season having retooled your, your defense uh, and then you give up 38 points, technically 31 because one of them was like uh, a fumble from Tannehill and then it ended up on the one and then scored. But, I mean, that was just supremely embarrassing. Honestly, one of the more pathetic performances I think we've seen from the Titans in a really long time. Uh, and the fact that it came from a Titans team roster that's this talented uh, just leaves a really gross taste in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good place to start. When, uh, the way I take that as, is coaching. Like, more than anything else, the team looked completely unprepared and no matter what, you know, state sponsored media tells you, like that I mean, they just didn't look state, ready. State they, sponsored media, is that Jim? Uh oh, I'm not naming any names. Uh, I'm just saying like any anybody like under that under the Titans banner won't say it and they'll talk about how it's ridiculous to assume that. But I mean, the team was unprepared on both sides of the ball. They had a plan, and they didn't have any backup plans off of it, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on, but uh, they just, they they looked like 
the Titans have for the last four years in that as soon as there's hype about them, they try to find ways to disappoint you. Like, yeah, it, that's you know, a problem. Yeah. Like every, I mean, every time the, the, the bubbles start kind of uh, boiling at the bottom of the pot, they come out and just absolutely crap the bed like they did on Sunday. And I'll, I'll let me say this too, because Luke, you were at the game and I was too. It was, at least in my opinion, it was the best fan turnout the Titans have had in three or four years. I mean, maybe longer. Like, see, I, 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 I granted, I'm not outside, but in terms of numbers, like, it looked all right. I, I, but I, I don't understand. I think it's hyperbole. Everyone's like, this was the greatest turnout since 2008. I'm like, I mean, the seats were full. The club wasn't very full, I didn't think. But maybe the okay. volume is, is what. Well, that's kind of what okay, I'm getting at because I can't, I can't gauge the volume from the press box. I, I have yeah. no idea about that. I'll, I'll clarify it a little bit. The club level is always going to be not full because at the club level, people are like at the bar. They have all those tables set up. They have like you know, they just got slim and huskies and all that kind of like that. They've got places to eat and drink and watch on big screen TVs and watch red zone, which if you're at the club level, it's probably a 50, 50 split between the people who are there to socialize and the people who are there to watch a football game. So that that's not a good representation. The okay. volume is one thing, but more importantly, it's the volume when the Titans offense is on the field because the, the stadium Nissan stadium is always, fairly full it's just how it's just what the split is is it 90 percent to 10 percent home fans is it 80 to 20 like i mean i would say 80 to 20 has been a pretty generous good turnout for them over the last four years just because you know i love you titans fans i have season tickets a, a lot of the people and i've i've been in the lower bowl i've been in the club seats like a lot of the people just they go to about four games and that's that they're either not there or they sell their tickets. And I guess do what do what you want with your property and your your money and your investment. But but I feel like that's it, probably it normal the, around the league though, no? No. I, I, I don't think I think we are probably one of the worst fan bases in terms of selling their tickets uh to other fan bases. Now I mean, I, the the Cowboys do it, but they have like that big Mecca stadium. Then I'm sure the Rams will get that, and I'm sure the Raiders will get that because of where they are and how new they are. But, I mean, for a team that hasn't moved, I mean, has been here for, what, 25 years longer? Like, I mean, or maybe not, tw- but like, you know, a team that's been here for as long as they have to like not have deep-rooted fans, like... It, it is. It is a little strange to me. Like, I, well, this is a rabbit hole. You're talking about Titans fans, but all in all, you you think the turnout was good? Yeah, I, I, and I think the turnout was good, and I think you could clearly feel how dejected everybody was, drive after drive, turnover after turnover. Like that. I mean, they were loud. Like they got. I think there were two false start penalties that were when the crowd was pretty loud and like you could see that they were having trouble communicating and you know, that's cool. Like they used to give out stuff at games. If you had two false start, if the other team had two false starts. So like, like a frosty a or something play. like that. Right. 
Yeah, like, and they had to go to a silent count at one at one point, and then they didn't have to do that at yeah. the end of the game. Yeah, but like what what happened is every fan that walked in the game, they actually had players and coaches stationed at every gate, and and every uh, male fan that walked in just got a great big kick in the crotch from whoever was yeah. standing at that gate. Uh, that that's basically a- what happened. Mm. Uh, I want to read a quote from Mike Vrabel's post-game press conference, I asked him if the Titans had an attitude problem. And I think that question has been misinterpreted to mean like swagger. I don't care about that. I mean like, did they go into this game thinking, we got this in the bag, man? And I think his answer was really interesting, and I want to talk about it. First, though, Will, I'm going to throw it back to you because you've got some words to... uh, 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 what what I'm what's the I'm looking for? Some words to proclaim to us about our friends at Manscaped. I do. So let's go from talking about a kick in the groin in the Titans game to something to help your groin, yes. and that's our friends over at Manscaped. Love it. Uh, with their uh, fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. You know it's hot. It was 90 degrees of the game. Every bit of hair hurts. You know, you you don't want to be that guy who's covered in hair, who looks like a bear with a T-shirt on. Like, groom yourself. That's why. (laughs) Bear with a T-shirt on. It it happens. They call it the Winnie the Pooh. That's that's what they call it at (laughs) Titans games. I've seen it. So, so, uh, you know, that's that's why you should use their new fourth generation trimmer. Their cutting edge cutting edge ceramic blade helps reduce AIDS. Yeah, yeah, it's cutting edge, and again, like I. Every time I read this number, it, it terrifies me. So brace yourself. But it's seven thousand RPMs on the lawnmower 4.0, and it's safe. Again, skin safe technology. Everybody's going to be okay. It's waterproof, so you know, it t- take care of yourself before that. But you know, it, it clean yourself up when you need to. Make sure you're nice and groomed for Titans games, so I don't have to see you in the hundred acre woods. So. You should also go with the Performance Package 4.0, which has the Weed Whacker, which we've talked about before. We're big fans of. Uh, also waterproof. Even more terrifying at 9,000 RPMs. But it does have a cool 360-grade rotary dual-blade system. So that sounds, you know, pretty neat. I don't know what some of those words mean, but I know it works. You know, it, you have a ne- nose and ear hair trimmer, which for me, you know, again, this is a personal thing, but I have terrible nose hair. I can't breathe. I mean, it's it's like breathing through a towel. I mean, and this this is a lifesaver. So uh, without boring y'all too much about my own personal grooming, I'll just say join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com and use the code FANSIDED20 for 20% off and free shipping with that code. So here's what Mike Vrabel said when I asked him about the Titans' attitude. He said, attitude, I mean, I hope that we have an attitude that is ready to compete and not just think we can show up and just show up in this league. This is a great league. It doesn't matter where you came from, where you're drafted, how expensive your suit is, what kind of car you drive. You've got to prove it on the field. And this didn't make it into the transcript, but he also said uh, it doesn't matter how nice your watch is. A lot of the, the other reporters, I was ta- after Vrabel left, I was kind of like, was there something to that? And the general consensus among us was, yeah, he didn't just say that like randomly. Did they just show up thinking, like, buying into their own hype? Because I, I think they might have. I, I think that 
and, and granted, there is X's and O's in football stuff that led to this loss, and we'll get into that. But I think the fact that they were just flat and, and totally overmanned, I think they started to buy into their own hype. I mean, yeah, it, it, it seems like that's what happened, but who was that on? Like, the, the head coach is supposed to be the one who reels everyone in and gets everyone focused for the task at hand. Like, you can't look ahead uh, to what's coming in the next week. And, and coaches always talk about this, just focusing on one game at a time. And it seems like the Titans didn't even focus on this one. And that's on the coaches. Like, I, I, I understand the players get paid a lot of money to do their job, and they should go out there and do their job. But if they're not totally focused on the this specific game, that's on the coaches for me. So I, I don't really understand Rabel like coming in and like knowing that his team wasn't focused and acting kind of like that's not his fault. Am I wrong? Well, so I, and this was also part of his quote. So I, I sort of asked him a two-part question. I asked about preparation and attitude. That was the part he said about attitude. About preparation, and, and, and I think he's right here. And this gets to what you're saying, like, shouldn't he have done something? He said, when you go into it, you don't think there's a problem with preparation. Like, I don't think Vrabel's sitting there thinking, and we're just not prepared. Oh, well. Like, he, they thought they were prepared, and that's the problem here. Yeah, that is a problem. And that has me a little worried <laughs> going forward. Uh, although the, the Titans, at least over the past couple of years, when they've had this type of awful game where we're like, oh, man, this team really sucks. It seems like they, they come out of it and they at least get a big win to kind of put their season uh, back on track. At least it's happened the last couple of seasons. So, I mean, we're going to talk about the Seahawks in a little bit, but. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and say the season is over. There are 16 games left, and we have seen some weird stuff happen in week one in the past. And even this week, like the Packers got absolutely throttled by the Saints. They put up three points on offense, I think it was. They gave up 38 points. I mean, it was it was an insane game. And there are things that happen in this league, especially when you're not prepared, that you're just going to get exposed. And... So I'm I'm not panicking yet, but I, I was just I was just really looking forward to the season because the roster is so talented, and I wanted them to come out here week one, show how good they are, especially against a team like the Cardinals who pose a threat but really haven't put it all together, especially at home. You know they should have come in here and dominated, and they did the exact opposite. Yeah, like. Uh... I don't know. I, I don't want to blend this too much into like a, a Taylor Lewan thing because I don't. I'm not. My plan is not to go in on him. I, I have my own. Well, we'll get and to Taylor. That's next, so you can save well, those thoughts. Well, it, it, here's why I say that is because I think this team's attitude problem is that they don't have an attitude. Like they, they. I mean, what do you mean, AJ Brown? Like I'm trying to think of people who seem to take it personally when they do poorly. Like people that are mad play into play out. Like if some like people who play and I don't like him and he didn't really do anything in this game, but like JJ Watt historically has been one of those guys. You know, the, yeah, but these those guys, guys are outliers. AJ Brown no, is no, an no, outlier. No, 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 no. No, like it doesn't have to be him. It can be Chancey Gardner-Johnson from uh, the Saints. Who? Like <laughs> 
Matias, do you know who I'm talking about? Chauncey. Chauncey Gardner. Yeah, sorry. There, there, yeah. Do you I know that? I still don't know who that is, but. Yeah. Well, you, you would, like, you need people who have attitude problems. People like Lawan yeah. used to be before his life got well adjusted and before he got married and had kids and all that. Like, that, like, that kind of guy. Like, I think Jeffrey Simmons is that kind of guy, but there's yeah. no, you know, if you're playing Kyler Murray, it, you know, you can get all the one yard runs and, you know, like tackles for loss in the run game that you want. It's not going to matter because their strength doesn't match up with your strength. And they just don't have enough of those guys. Like, you know, you talked about guys walking around with confidence and swagger and stuff. It's like, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't like Julio getting the penalty he got. Like I, that's, you know, you can debate whether that was the right call, wrong call, whatever. I don't, that's not the point of this. The point of this is, is like, I wish instead of being frustrated and doing that, he would have, or even if he did that, he later would have snagged a ball and stiff armed four people and, you know, done what Julio has done in the past or done what Derrick Henry has done in the past. Like people who are not well adjusted individuals, like Darren Bates on special teams, like guys, like I think you need some of those guys. And I don't, uh, I mean, AJ's that guy. Derek is that Derek Henry is that guy sometimes. I mean, when it's not September. So it's like, but you need other guys to be the those types of players. And I don't know that they have enough of those. And I think when you don't have enough of those and you start getting walked all over, you don't you don't bow your back up and do something about it. You just wait until the storm stops and then you try to come from behind and that doesn't always work. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm dying to talk about Taylor Lewan. Let, let, let's hop into that. Okay. He he was terrible. I, mean, I made the comment at the beginning of the podcast, he looked like Will Svitek. I mean, he was just a turnstile out there, totally worthless. Uh, so, so really, two questions. Well, actually, one question is, is this going to keep up? I don't know that it is. He's had bad. He is a very volatile player. Like he's either really good or like noticeably very bad, and and that's just who he is, and it's a problem. But you 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 take what you can get, um, and and then I want to ask this: the tweet. I freaking hate the tweet. You're not alone. I hate the tweet too. I th- there's just no there's just no need for it, and. Oh my god! And, and, and everyone's it, like, it, "Oh, he's owning his mistake." Just shut up and play. Like I, I'm going to pull a shut up and dribble, but we're not talking about politics. We're talking about apologizing for your poor play. Just shut up and play the game, man. Dude, like I'm not. This isn't a podcast thing. Like I'm not one of these people that's like Taylor needs to stop focusing on his podcast. That's an equally stupid take. But like, just just stop. Like every I remember, you know, back when he used to be in we used to be in the locker room. After every game he played poorly, it was like a theatrical event at his locker. It's like, I am hurting this team. I am effing terrible, and I will get better. You believe that? Like, just shut up, man. Like, it's tired. It's it's. Oh, I'm I'm over it. Will, I, I, are you with us on that? I so yeah. Like, I'm gonna just say yeah. Like, I'm on I'm on your side. I don't like that. The reason I think he does it is because he, for like a two- or three-year period, he was the most visible player on the Titans roster. And it's because he was going to Pro Bowls, and he played a premium position, and 
everybody else just kind of sucked. So, like, I, I think he, and we know this from when he got the captain C, and he didn't really, like, want it, and it was, like, his second year or whatever. Well, like That was a weird situation with Mike right. Malarkey. So, yeah, like, I don't think, I don't think he's that kind of guy, and I think he was put in that situation, and I think it's messed him up ever since. So I think he feels some sort of obligation to the fan base to say, like, hey, you know, I, I know that I'm a public figure as an offensive lineman, and that's weird. I hear your complaints. I promise I'm going to try to fix it, all that kind of stuff. Okay, like, I, 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 will, I, I will give him this, because I think you make a good point there. He did not talk to the media afterwards, and I guarantee you that was not his choice. Now, I'm not saying the Titans, like, kept him from the media, but the way things work now, until we're able to get back in the locker room, you only get a handful of guys. And the Titans, to their credit, make no bones about it. If a dude sucks and blows the game, they will bring that guy out. It just so happened that Taylor Lewan was not one of the people they had available on Sunday. So he didn't get a chance to you know, stand at a podium or stand in front of a curtain and, and do that. Yeah. I mean, the, the Titans are very good about let, you know, good, bad of the other letting guys talk after games. I mean, that's why Mike Rabel talks after every game. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I am the, the apology. I don't like, I don't think any of us like, I think it's kind of a weird move. I think it's born from like, he has kind of a wide receiver mentality and an offensive tackle body. Like, I think that's a very wide receiver thing to do, like post something like that. And then, you know, say like, we'll do it. You know, I'm going to come back and bounce back, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that's part of the problem, but more importantly is, is the question about play. Like, do you want me to just dive into that now? Or do you want to say what you're going to say? Okay. So especially you're, you're sort of our resident O line expert. Yeah, so I I've said this on and off here. Like I've told y'all, like my comp for him is Jack Conklin after he tore his ACL. Like that they, they look so similar. They look like guys who don't trust their knees, who aren't like don't really understand how to like drive block, and they're trying to relearn what's okay and how hard to push and like that they leave games from time to time. Like LaJuan, I mean, LaJuan's always done that, but like he came out of the game after like a touchdown drive and Kendall Lamb came in and he was kind of like favoring and limping his leg a little bit. And then he went back out there and he was fine. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy with an, he's an offensive tackle with an ACL injury. Like you don't put those guys on an Island regardless of who's on the other side. Like that's, that's not how you should start out the game. And, you know, this is where I have an issue with Mike Rabel, especially because Taylor Lewan is always going to talk a big game, whether he's terrible, whether he's great, he's always going to be loud about it. So Mike Rabel has to know after being on a team with Lewan and having a personal relationship with Lewan, even if he says I can do whatever I'm a hundred percent, all that stuff. If that's not what you're seeing in practice, or if you have any concerns about it, you don't have Todd Downing call plays the way he called plays at the beginning, which is just leaving Taylor Lewan ISOed with their best pass rusher. So that was a stupid way to start anyway. But, you know, 
going forward, like, will that happen again? Like you said, I mean, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head. Like, Lewan, I remember that Buffalo Bills game he came back to after his PED suspension, and he was terrible in that game. Like, I think he gave up two sacks in that game, and he had, like, a holding call or something. Like, I mean, he had a bad game. But towards, like, the, I mean, that was game five, and I would say the last nine or ten games of the season even, he was above average to very good in all those games. So, you know, maybe it's just knocking the rust off of him. Like, maybe he just wasn't prepared for Chandler Jones to be that good at, at his age with those injuries. Like, maybe it's a little bit of everything. But this should be a wake-up call for the Titans to evaluate what they think they know about their team and to adjust. But if I know anything about Mike Frabel, it's that that won't happen. Matthias, I feel like we haven't heard from you in I, several minutes. Because... <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what to say, man. Like he was trash. He was absolute trash. And I don't think he'll be this bad for the whole season. If not, he's going to get benched within the next couple of weeks. If, if that's the case. But I agree for with Kendall Will. Lamb, it, who also sucked. That's see. That's that that that's what I was going to get to. That the whole dude line has belly flopped over the last month. We thought he might be the starting right tackle, and he was hurt. And like is probably was in third place behind Quesenberry and Sam Brilo for that job. And he was a disaster in his limited action when he played for Lawan, who was dealing with cramps for two drives. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we signed that guy to be at least a potential starter. I mean, we gave him, I think he's getting paid like $3.4 this year, which isn't a lot, but at least it's more than, I think, a normal offensive line backup uh, would get. But, like, he comes in for Lawan, he gives up a sack, uh, Nate Davis and Ben Jones got beat by a guy named Michael Dogba for a sack. Uh, Barry was getting beat pretty consistently. Uh, Saffold was even at fault get, for one of the sacks. Anytime you get beaten by someone where people in the media are like, got beaten by a guy named, uh, that, it's bad. Yes, yes. And, and, and like we had talked about this before in the preview episode. We were like, yeah, they have J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones, but like, the other defensive linemen on their team, they stink. And you're giving up sacks to these guys. Something is clearly wrong, uh, and and no one did anything to fix it. The offensive game plan didn't change. There, there was no uh, shift in philosophy within the game, even though none of this was working. And it was just like, someone do something. Make a change. Someone spark something. And, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to Todd Downing at some point, but you got to change your game plan if your offensive line is getting absolutely smoked for like four straight drives. We need to talk about Downing now. Yeah, well, so do you want to hit Downing or do you want to hit – we'll save the Titans' defense uh, because there's a few things to hit on there. Todd Downing was an abject disaster in his debut. And look, and I wrote this in my column after the game. I'm not one of these people that's like, the season is doomed, Todd – like, but one game sample size, it was awful. It was Terry Robisky all over again. That is how you describe this. It was 13 personnel and congested formations and run the ball up the middle. It, and, and you know, the other Terry Robisky hallmark was two-man routes, and I don't know if any of that happened. I haven't watched the tape or anything, but it was it was bad. And the congested formations were a problem, and when when you're getting killed by pass rushers, you got to open it up a little bit. But beyond that, 
A.J. Brown, your best player on offense, not named Derrick Henry, who, by the way, also stunk on Sunday, does not get a target until there's five minutes left in the first half? What? And I had I tweeted this during the game. I'm like, hey, Todd Downing, throw the ball to your best player, please. And I had all these people like, well, Ryan Tannehill doesn't have any time to throw. Okay, you don't need a five-step drop to throw a cross or a slant to A.J. Brown. Find something to get the ball in that guy's hands. This is not rocket science. And it's really funny. I asked Vrabel after the game, I'm like, is it a problem that it took that long to get A.J. the ball? And he's like, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I'm with you. We need to get A.J. Brown the ball more. And when Mike Vrabel looks at a reporter, he's like, yeah, I'm with you there. Like, hey, good idea. Like, that. that's bad. That's really, really bad. This is the NF. Darren Waller last night got 19, 19 targets. 19 targets. And Tyreek Hill on Sunday got like 15 targets. It's that if your players are good, you're going to find ways to get them the ball unless you're a bad coach. Which They found, they found ways to get Chester Rogers the ball early. Now, I like Chester Rogers. I think he's a quality player, but he's not Julio Jones or A.J. Brown. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't know how many ways I can say he's a. I think I changed don't my name. Don't say he's a moron. That's a cheap I, shot. We're deeper than that on this podcast. Yeah. Okay. I'll explain why he's a moron. How about that? <laughs> okay. So here's here's the problem. Everything we've talked about so far, Taylor Lewan getting AJ Brown the ball, you know, even Derrick Henry. This wasn't a problem for the last two years for the most part. Derrick Henry is always slow in September. We've talked about that. But, you know, there's a very clear blueprint for this is exactly what works with these people. And Todd Downing, so the Titans were first in play action rate last year. They were 32nd in the league this week. So Todd Downing looked at an offense that was scoring 30 points a game that swapped out Corey Davis for Julio Jones, and he said, instead of doing that thing that worked for two years, how about I try to do something that's a little bit my own and put my own spin on it? And it was terrible. Uh, it was really bad. Su- like it was such a failure. You know, you can't, you cannot fire an offensive coordinator one game into the season. Well, that, what now, well, I think you're yeah. you're delving into the realm of craziness right now. I think you no, just have to look at this as one game, and it was really, I, really bad. I, I think I think this is what they need to do. I okay. think when Arthur Smith was a first time head, uh, first time offensive coordinator, he stunk. Tan- yeah, correct, he was not very good. But Tannehill took he took a lot of the stuff over for I think it was the red zone and the hurry up. And he and Arthur Smith had a good relationship. Like they taught, I mean, after the season, during the season, they talked about how they worked together, collaborated and, you know, worked on an offense that emphasized what they, what worked and what they had. Again, I'm not saying to fire Todd Downing, like you can't do that. Like you can't fire somebody and put in a whole new offense. What you need to do if you're Mike Frable is you need to sit in a room with Ryan Tannehill, Locke, Lock Downing out for now and say, look, <laughs> say, look, what would you have done? What would work? Where did we go wrong? And then bring Downing in and say, what do you think went wrong? And then correct everything that he's wrong about. Because Tannehill is the only person in that room who's run a 30-point-per-game offense. 
and he did it with this team last year. So I would say, what did it look most like? What would we have done in the past? And I would say, look, Todd, like you're you're going to stay the offensive coordinator, but you're going to have to listen to the input of your players. It, otherwise, we're all going to be gone after this year. Because if the Titans go out and if they put, let's say, 20 points per game, you know, which I, I, I think is ridiculous, but if they score 20 points per game, I mean, this is a six-win team at best, and they're, they are going to get fired. So they have to listen to the one guy in the room who actually knows what offense works with this team and listen to him. Otherwise, I, I mean, they're not going to get out of this tailspin. Yeah, it was really bad. Derrick Henry stunk, too. As I mentioned, they couldn't run the ball. But my big two things for downing, the, the congested formation slash too many tight ends, which those sort of play off of each other, and not being able to get the ball to playmakers. Like, that just that makes no sense. Um, staying on the offense, you know, this was a topic of conversation that everyone with a brain who covers the Titans hit over the preseason. It was, it was an easy sports talk radio kind of topic. You know, they're not getting time together. Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are sitting out. Is that going to be a problem? Well, you know, I think it's going to be a problem. I don't think it's going to be a problem. It's kind of a problem. And I think uh, uh, Jared Stillman, I believe, on Twitter, he's like, you know why they're targeting, you know why Ryan Tannehill's throwing to Chester Rogers so often? Because he practiced with Chester Rogers. I, I, I think there's something to that, you know? Yeah. I mean, quarterback wide receiver chemistry is a real thing. Uh, and that's why sometimes throughout the regular season, when a backup quarterback has to come in and play, he usually starts targeting like the second string tight end or the third or fourth receiver because he played with them in the preseason. He's been playing with them in practice and they're accustomed to each other. They know where the player is going to be. They trust them. Like that's a real thing. I'm not saying Tannehill doesn't trust Julio Jones. He clearly does. He was thrown into some tight windows to him. Uh, one of them ended up in an, in an interception, but I mean, it's difficult for, to throw to a guy that you've never played with in an offense that you've been in uh, for a couple of seasons already, uh, and you have like players like A.J. Brown and Anthony Furcher who you already know, uh, you know, within the offense and you know where they're going to be. I mean, it's difficult, yeah, and I, I've kind of changed my tune. Like, one year ago, I would have told you preseason should be canceled altogether, and now here I am thinking – Maybe the starters should be playing in a couple of preseason games every year because this was really bad. And I think getting some time on the field in the preseason with all all, all four, with Tannehill, Henry, A.J. Brown, and Julio Jones, could have done them some, some good. Especially Henry, because this, this is every year with Derrick Henry. Like, he just starts off so bad. It is brutal to watch. It's painful yeah. to watch. And... It's every year. It's every single year. Like, I'm not worried about him. I think he's, he's going to crush this season because this is how he starts every single year. But it sucks. It sucks. And if your passing offense can't carry the load, you're going to have a bad time. And that, that's kind of what we saw in this game. Will, you made a comment about Henry when we were talking at halftime because Will, uh, Will sits very close to the press box. So we have, we have ha a halftime meeting of the minds. 
And and Will, you were talking about Derek, Derek does that leg thing, and I knew exactly what you were talking about when you said that. But can you explain to our listeners what you mean by that? So, when he does that leg thing, when other people gently touch his leg and he falls down, yeah, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So it's crazy. Uh, it's yeah. Crazy. It's it's this weird thing that he does where only in September, you know. Yeah, I was just gonna say if you or, turn the TV on Eddie in George. October. Because pre-Eddie George, yeah. that's all yes. it was. Yes, correct. Like, it, it, anyway. Uh, but yeah, like, if you turn the TV on in October, you won't see it. So you need to watch it now. But every now and then, you'll see a, a defensive lineman or something gently tap Derrick Henry's shin. And it looks like a landmine just went off. Like, he, he reacts to it like he's never been hit before. And it's the weirdest thing in the world because if you cut to the playoffs – He's running through those without feeling them, and he's running full speed. But, you know, maybe it's confidence in the offensive line or whatever, but the holes are there not every time, but, like, cutback lanes and, like, all all these places are open if he'll just run through one arm tackle or use his stiff arm. But early, he just does not have it, and and it's the, like, it's – you know, whether you want to compare him to like Anthony Davis for the Lakers, where, uh, you know, he doesn't realize how big he is until somebody like reminds him. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to put up a 2020 now. Like, you know, there's just times where you're like, he thinks he's Chris Johnson. And we've said that since he was a rookie. And usually now he'll shake it off by October. But yeah, like it's like there's there's. 60 yards he left on one play where if he would have hit the cutback, everybody was flowing to, let me see, everybody was flowing to the left. No, everybody's flowing to the right. And if he would have planted his leg like he did against Jacksonville last year at home, uh, if he would have planted his leg and cut across the field, he would have had 60 yards with only him and a cornerback in between him and like a huge game. And you saw some of it later in the game when he broke that 30-yard run or whatever, but that was just him playing the play. Like, the cutback lanes that he has when he runs through these tackles, I don't know if he feels like he's Mario and he ate, like, a mushroom or whatever, but, like, he feels so much stronger when he sees those, and that's when you get Derrick Henry, the 2,000-yard rusher. Like, this is not that guy, and he never is in September, and it's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I do want to make this comment before we move to the defense. I think there are a lot of people, and Frable even kind of touched on this today, there are a lot of people who want to act like one thing caused this. And, and we've talked about a lot of problems, and that's the, the point here is, was it attitude problem? Was it bad play calling? Was it the players weren't prepared? Was it poor execution? Was it... Derrick Henry wasn't very good. Was it all because of Taylor Lewan? Like, Yeah, it was all of those things. Yes is the answer to all of those questions. And Vrabel said that today, because or, or on Monday, because John Glennon started to ask a question. He's like, do you think, I don't even remember what it was, but it's like, do you think such and such had anything to do? And Vrabel said, Johnny, any excuse you want to throw out there? Yes, it was a problem. And he's right. Like, everything was bad. So it's not like one thing caused that. Like, when it's that disastrous of a performance for that talented of a team, it's going to be a lot of problems. Sorry, my mic was muted. But, yes, it it was just a disaster all around. Um, 
Do we want to get into the defense? Or we still want to yeah, stick to the let's offense? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. The defense. What do we What do we think? I mean, I thought that in the first half they were pretty disciplined with the capture, don't kill stuff, and and Kyler Murray didn't really wreck them, which I talked about in my game day morning show was sort of a key to the game. Kyler Murray didn't really wreck them until late in the first half, early second half. Uh, the result was not good. The offense was a total cluster F, but I kind of liked some of the things I saw from the defense. Like I wasn't like clapping or anything, but I saw some things. I'm like, hey, you can build off of that. Whereas on offense, there was just nothing. Yeah, I, the offense put the defense in, in bad situations in a, on a couple drives, uh, and I think that kind of affected the overall performance of the defense. But they weren't awful. They weren't like a complete disaster like we saw a lot of the times last year. But at the same time, we saw a lot of the same flaws pop up. Like there was a play, I think it was on it was on DeAndre Hopkins' um, second touchdown maybe, not the one that he caught in the back of the end zone, where they just ran an all-out blitz and then they're playing man. But the the defensive backs are, are playing off coverage and New Coppins catches the ball, makes Kevin Byard miss, and he scores a touchdown. Like, you don't want to see that. I thought we were going to get that corrected. But it wasn't it wasn't awful. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. But I'm still just not seeing enough from from players that should be affecting the games in, in more ways. Yeah, Byard had the interception, but he also gave up two touchdowns like that were directly um, kind of his fault. Uh, Christian Fulton was good. Rashawn Evans still absolutely sucks. Jayon Brown was didn't really have much of an impact. I thought Simmons and Landry were okay. Uh, Danico Autry didn't play too much for whatever reason. Um, apparently, Lorel Murchison was getting a lot of playing time on him. I don't know why. And then Bud Dupree, I can't say too much about him because he's coming back from an ACL and he clearly didn't look like himself. Uh, but I just, I don't know, man. I, I need I need more players to step up, and maybe they will over the next coming weeks. But I do think they did change some things that should lead to a little more success this season than last. Quick, Quickly, before Will hops in, I want to hit on what you just said, Matias, about no one made a play. You know, when you're in a game like that where you're getting your tail whipped, and, and, but, but it's still within reach. Like when it's 17-0, like, it's a three-score game, but like plenty of teams have come back from being down 17 points, right? So you're just sitting there thinking, all right, somebody make a play. Somebody make a play. And the only guy that did that was Kevin Byard. He had that interception. Now, Kevin Byard got cooked at other times during the game. But no one, like, and I know it takes more than just like deciding, you know, I'm going to make a play or something like that. But no one stepped up. And, and that, I think, is what's concerning. Yeah, particular before Will speaks, particularly when we had that interception to start the second half, we score a touchdown immediately after. That's where you need something. You need a sack to set the offense back and then get a punt and then carry that momentum into the next offensive drive. But no, I mean, they go 75 yards down the field in six plays and then that's it. Game over. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I needed to make sure y'all were done talking because it was a lot of like before Will starts talking. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like I, I'm really curious to see what the game plan is this week. And we can talk more about that later. We don't have to or whatever. But the reason I bring that up is because I think 
the defense they ran yesterday would have worked against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens because one, Lamar Jackson is not a good passer, and two, uh, they don't have a DeAndre Hopkins because really I don't think the Cardinals had a lot of answers early, but they did have DeAndre Hopkins and he was the difference in that game. Like he caught the first touchdown, like he fought, caught the first explosive play in general, but then he also caught it was third and ten, I believe. And maybe longer, and he was scrambling around, and he found Hopkins in the back of the end zone. Touchdown. Okay, now it's, you know, 10 to, I guess that was, I, yeah, because that was after the false start. That's right. That's what happened. So that was after they got the ball at the one, false started, and then it looked like the defense was going to make a really good goal line stop and force uh, them to kick a field goal from like the six or whatever. But instead of that, Hopkins pulls down uh, the catch in the back of the end zone. You know, amazing job by him, and that turned it to a 10-0 to game, and the Titans never recovered from that. So I I think that defense would have worked given a lesser quarterback and a not Hall of Fame-ish wide receiver. So I say all that to say I don't think the game plan was bad. I think the evaluation of what Kyler Murray was going to be was bad. I I think they didn't give him enough credit as a passer. And I wonder if they're more aggressive like the Raiders were on Monday Night Football against Lamar Jackson. I I wonder if they're that level of aggressive against Russell Wilson because that that won't work against Russell Wilson. Like you can't mush rush and just like let him hang back there because the Titans were clearly trying to Russell Wilson's also not as fast as Kyler Murray anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. That's not that he say. ever was. I mean, Kyler. There's no other than Lamar. There's never been anyone like Kyler, like Michael Vick, maybe. But yeah, like they were clearly trying to stop Kyler Murray from having a Lamar Jackson run because that's what killed him in the play, in the playoffs. Like their most recent, the Titans' most recent loss is because they had the Ravens where they wanted them, and then Lamar Jackson ripped that massive sixty-five yard run or whatever it was for a touchdown. Yeah, and. They never recovered from it. So they didn't want that to happen. And, you know, I got flack for this when I said it at the time, but to their credit, they were in position a lot more this time than they were at any point last year with their defensive backs and all that. They were just getting beat. Like, that, the Titans players were in the right position. It was just, you know, Jenkins fell down here. There was, you know, a, a, a sort of, passive you know Elijah Mould maybe should have bailed out quicker and tried to get on top of Christian Kirk on that play the Titans were stupid whenever they lined up Byard and man coverage against a wide receiver because Kyler Murray went directly at that but like for the most part the game plan was correct they just got outplayed and so you know you you can say that the defense should have done more but it I mean it was a C plus to B minus game plan. They just didn't, they didn't get the breaks they wanted and, you know, give credit to Kyler Murray. Like he didn't want to take a hit at all. He was, he was ready to fall down. Yeah. I mean, he was ready to fall down whenever. I mean, at, at, at all elements of the quarterback position, he was throwing with anticipation. He was accurate. He was on time. His, his passes had a lot of velocity to him and, and you add the speed and the elusiveness, man. I, I think he's going to take a big step forward this year. He was incredible. Yeah, well, and you can blame Todd Downing. <laughs> well, what do you think about uh, Rashawn Evans, our uh, the the guy who leads us into our podcast every time? He was fine. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, like it, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Same like, old, same at this old. Point, it, yeah, at this point, I don't blame Rashawn Evans. I blame the guy who continues to put him out on the field every time and ask him, hey, can you be the linebacker in two linebacker sets and can you fast flow to the sidelines? No, too bad. We're putting you in anyway. Because that's now, what Brady it, does. In, in the Titans' defense, David Long would have played a right. lot. David Long was hurt. It, but it, like, theoretically, sure. But when has Brable ever actually done that in a game? I mean, when has he subbed out Rashawn Evans? In it? Like, in the preseason, he did it. But we, I mean, we've never actually seen him do it in a game. I mean, Monty Rice sat on the sideline the whole game. I mean, the whole game. And but they don't. You, they don't like, like rookies. They they think they think that rookies are like the spawn of the devil. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that's stupid. That's a bad job. I mean, like. Imagine if imagine if instead of Mike Vrabel trusting whatever random kicker he met that week, he trusted that the guys he spent that, a month. That's not coach- his fault. He had no other option other than badly. Okay. Well, on th- on fourth and one, they could have run yeah, the ball. Yeah. You know, they taken, had a timeout. They could have not tried for a field goal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but there were like, people on Twitter that were like, "This is Mike Vrabel's fault that yeah, they don't have a good kicker." It's like, no, I, I think Sam Thicken would have been fine. Or yeah. Tucker McCann. Like, these aren't – Michael Badgley was not their boy. Like, don't no. blame them for that. Yeah, I, I don't – I don't. that's that's not my point. My point is that he always seems content to settle for field – what, he kicked four field goals in that one game, like, with Santoso or whoever, and he missed all of them? Uh, like, that, no, that I mean, wasn't Santoso. That was – Cairo uh, Santos. Cairo oh, Santos. There you go. Who but kicked like, for the Bears yeah, He on always Sunday does night. that. Like, he do, – he like, that's, that's a bad coach. I mean – that's somebody who says Very like I'm certainly. stubborn. Yeah, I mean it's I'm going to be stubborn to the point of I'm going to keep going through kickers until I find one who can actually make me look like I'm doing the right thing, even though two years of looking like a fool on television, letting random kickers kick for me, has bitten me in the butt every time. Yeah. So, I mean, all that to say, like they don't like to play rookies, and also it's like that's that's a mentality that needs to change. I know we're saying it half jokingly, but it's also like it. Vrabel seems to go into games, and he seems to ask the coordinators or whatever he does, and he's like, "Okay, who are you playing?" And then they're terrified to pull anybody off of that starting team. Like I, I don't know what the deal is, but uh, I mean, we can talk more about their rookie usage on a, on a different episode or whatever. But it's it's just it's. It's such a bad way to run a football team. Have, have you guys noticed that we have had the same discussion about Mike Rabel for every single season that he's that, been the coach? But that's the thing about him. I, I've had this discussion with a lot of people. Like, interestingly, when I meet people who are like either like border, either not Titans fans, but know what I do, or or like people who listen to the podcast, the question I get asked probably more than any other is, "So, what do you think about Mike Rabel?" And the answer I always go to is he's a he's a B coach. He's going to win you a lot of games. He's going to do some really impressive things, and he has some flaws that are going to cost you some wins. And sometimes that's going to be in the playoffs. Like we yeah. know what he is at this point. He's a B coach. Yeah. I don't know. I just hope the wheels don't come falling off. I don't think they we'll will. I, I don't. I think mean, they're too. Talented. This game is not a sign they're of things. Talented, to come. Yeah. I don't think that. I don't think this game is a sign of things to come. They're not going to no. 
that's not going to happen on. They might lose against Seattle, and we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But they're they're not going to. It's not going to look like that again. I wouldn't. I would think. And we can also say like we can cautiously say that Christian Fulton was good, Jeffrey Simmons was good, Harold Landry was good, AJ Brown was good. This is par for the course for. Derrick Henry, like this is not unexpected. Kevin Byard had more positive plays than he has in the last like 18 months. So, you know, like it was a terrible outcome, but a lot of that was because they ended up with three turnovers inside their own 40 yard line or whatever, you know, basically because of left tackle mistakes and Julio not being able to catch a pass. So, yeah, we haven't even talked it, about the fact that Julio Jones did more to hurt the Titans than help them. By the way, I think it's his fault that this game got out of hand because they had a third and one. You, you can pick your bones about the penalty, whatever. He should have just walked away. It's, you know, whatever. Third and one, down by 10, but they were, they were making something happen. They would have gotten the first down. Derrick Henry would have been able to get one yard. I feel pretty confident in that. But no, Julio Jones, unnecessary roughness. Now it's third and 16, and, and here comes Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. Like, Julio Jones was a problem. That's got to get better. I can't tell if this is sarcasm or not. For me? I think if it is, I agree with it. So I hope it's not. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I like. Julio I do Jones think, was I mean, a problem, I should, I should say. I, like, I don't, I don't Why would that be sarcastic? Julio Jones was one of the three worst players on that field, along with yes. Taylor Lewan and Derrick Henry. Yes. But, I mean, we're losing this game whether Julio Jones is, is out exactly. there or not. Exactly, and that returns to the earlier yeah. conversation about it was a million things that went wrong. It was Murphy's Law. Yeah. That's what I led with in my column. It was, it was Murphy's Law. Everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Yep. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and, and I think it, we do have to point out, like Will pointed out before, like, the Cardinals just executed to perfection. And I, I, I do think we have to give them a lot of credit yeah. because they all played well. All of their players, except for like AJ Green, who might be washed, and James Conner, who is not very good. Yeah, AJ like, Green AJ Green kept getting wide open. Like there were a few times Cogger threw him and there wasn't anyone within me. 10 yards. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Standing and... there like it's a punt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the, the one on the sideline, right? That was like a on like a second and seven. Yeah, the, that that was when they did that the whole like let's rush four, drop seven, because yeah. I think it was a second down, wasn't it? it was like second and ten and seventeen, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was something crazy. Oh. And they were like, we're gonna drop, and then like they just like they played it like it was fourth, like they played it like they were it like all we gotta do is stop this pass, like. But that's a very, like, that's Mike Vrabel, even going back to the Dean Pease days. Like, remember back when Dean Pease was here and they were so phenomenally good on third and one and fourth and one that it seemed like the whole game plan was, okay, whatever you have to do to get to third down and short or fourth down and short, cool. Like, Daquan Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, I I guess Jeffrey Simmons wasn't there. Daquan Jones and Drell Casey, it's like they're going to make a play. And that will be fine. Wesley Woodyard's like somebody's going to make a play in the middle of that defense, and it worked. But like now, it's like they had that mentality, but then they don't have like the linebackers to come up and step up and make a play because Jim Haslett's telling everybody they're doing a great job, whether they're in the right place or not. Like 
I, I'm convinced that Rashawn Evans could not play in a game, and Jim Haslett would compliment how well and how fast he was playing on the field because he just doesn't know what he's doing. Like, I assume he faces the wrong way when he watches the games. <laughs> Let's talk about Seattle. Guys, Seattle was able to defeat the Indianapolis Colts in week one. You can deduce from that what you will based on how you feel about the Colts. You know, Seattle's an interesting team because I feel like they're always really good early in the season, and then Russell Wilson gets into MVP conversations, and then they kind of flame out, and they're one and done in the playoffs. Like, that has been the story of this franchise for the last three or four years. They're always overhyped. Like, Colin Cowherd loves the Seahawks, but they haven't really done much lately. But granted, that that doesn't really matter for Sunday, flaming out in the playoffs, because they're facing a Titans team that really needs to rebound. And they are a tough team, offensively anyway. I mean, good night. Good luck with Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And then Chris Carson in the backfield. Of course, Russell Wilson, don't even have to, don't even have to mention him. Uh, it's, a, it, it's, a, uh, it's a scary team, especially when you're traveling and, and you're playing in, in what is you know, notoriously the most difficult environment or one of the most difficult environments um, in all of professional American sports. Yeah, uh, I, I told Luke before the podcast, this is a game that the Titans, at least for the past couple of seasons, they've just won. I mean, Mike, Mike Vrabel it, is 7, as uh, Mike Herndon tweeted this, Mike Vrabel is 7-0 and in the game after the Titans lose by double digits. Yeah, they, they just always seem to, to come out and, and play like the team they're supposed to play after looking like absolute trash. So I'm hoping that's the case. But I don't know if that will be the case just because of the circumstances of this game, having to travel all the way to Seattle. We always know um, that East Coast, well, Tennessee, well, technically Midwest (laughs) going to the West Coast uh, is not an easy thing to do. You have to get acclimated. uh, Plus traveling is very put on a hell of a play, man. It's real though. It's real. There are shots yeah, out it's there. It's a very real thing. Luke Luke is very dismissive <laughs> of like, If Mike Vrabel comes into that press conference on Sunday and they lose, he's like, you know, the time change has really got us. I, I know that won't happen, but could you imagine? That would be crazy. He would get absolutely roasted. He would never do that. No, he wouldn't. But aside from the West Coast thing, the Seahawks are just like a pretty good team. Uh and they seem to have eliminated a couple of the issues that plagued the previous Seahawks team. They got rid of their offensive coordinator. They have a new one, uh, Shane Waldron, who seems to be at least smarter than, you know, Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel, uh, because they're putting Russell Wilson in a position to succeed, at least judging by week one. The results were very positive. Uh, I thought this, the, their defense played better than I thought, but I think that could kind of be attributed to the Colts. Not being very good. Carson Wentz not being very good. Uh, and, and the offensive line with Quentin Nelson, I, I think he I think he played, but I, I think he was coming back from injuries. So I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen in this game. I'm a little scared about the Seahawks because they're so potent offensively. Like you said, Lockett and Metcalf is, is a lot to deal with, uh, especially if they start hitting some of those plays down the field. It's it's rough. It's rough, and, and then they start pounding you with with Chris Carson, who is one of the probably one of the more underrated running backs uh, in the league. 
we'll see how their offensive line holds up. They're, it's weird. Like, it's not as bad as it was in previous seasons, uh, but they have some old guys in there who are kind of in the twilight of their careers. So we'll see if the Titans can get a little more pressure on Russell Wilson than they did uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah, like, I, I have not watched the game yet. I should go ahead and give that disclaimer. I haven't watched the Colts and Seahawks. Um or at least I haven't watched it fully. Like the, the stat that's going around a lot that's, you know, feels important is that, you know, when the Seahawks smacked up the Colts, that like it says uh last year in twenty twenty, Carson went through seventeen point one percent of his passes to running backs. This past week he threw thirty seven point five percent of his passes to running backs. So basically the Colts were just dumping off the ball, which they've always I mean, they've always done that. Like just little dump offs all the time over and over and over because they were getting worked in the run game and that that's just what they do. So, you know, I don't know that they were really tested vertically. And uh, in fact, I'm, I'm know that they weren't tested vertically. So it, it all depends. Like if Todd, if Todd Downing, not, not that I have any faith that this will happen, but if Todd <laughs> Downing realizes what he did wrong and he says, okay, look, we got to get back to, you know, crossers with AJ Brown and play actions and bootlegs. Once we realize the backside guy isn't going to stay and just keep the quarterback, like if they do that, who knows? I mean, like that they could put up. You know, I, I tweeted this last, uh, tweeted this this morning, but uh, last year they scored the Titans scored sixteen points in their opener, and then they scored back to back thirty plus. Uh, or 30 plus points in back-to-back games. And then the two games after that, they scored 40 plus points. So they've started off slow and found their stride quickly in the past. But I mean, if they, if they realize what they are and what they need to do, I mean, they could be a, I mean, they've got all the talent to be a 30 point team. If they run their offense correctly and defensively, you kind of want a Seattle to like, it, not not that they're ever fun to play again, but if you're Kevin Byard and your whole thing is, I cannot be left alone one on one with wide receivers. So I want a coach like Pete Carroll who's going to insist on running the ball more, and I can just stay and play over the top and try to pick off balls to DK Metcalf that I know he's going to throw in Tyler Lockett. Like that's kind of where he should shine. And so, like, there's a lot of reasons to be more optimistic. And like we talked about earlier, he's not Kyler Murray in that he's not just going to scramble and try to take off for a 30- or 40-yard run. Like, he's going to run to try to I mean, pass. Russell, Russell Wilson's in his 30s. Like, his he would yeah. Actually, Siri, how old is Russell Wilson? 37. 32. 32. I thought he'd be a little older go. than that. but Yeah, he's. he's – I mean – and he's not as fast as Ryan Tannehill. I mean, this is not that's not a comment on anything. I mean, it like he's just objectively not. But like I mean, didn't Ryan Tannehill have like a seventy yard run against the Green Bay last year? I think Tannehill is technically faster. Like in uh, a uh, yeah, line. obviously Russ is uh, slippier, sli- more slippery. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's more not. I'm, I'm saying <laughs> I said is a rushing Obviously, yeah. he's slippier. <laughs> Star Fox 64 reference there that I'm sure <laughs> Luke was not alive for. But uh-huh. anyway, like I, that's what I mean is like 
he's a threat to do that thing where he spins around and does all that in the backfield and throws the ball. But you don't have to worry about him slipping one guy and then running for 25, 30 yards like Tannehill, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. Obviously, those last year are faster than Tannehill. But like that that's not a concern that they have to go up against. So this whole yeah. capture, don't kill thing, like it doesn't have to be as like mush rush soft defense as they were this past week like they can be i mean they can get a little bit more aggressive as long as they're smart about it so i mean you know they're not unbeatable just because they beat a bad colts team so i'm I'm interested to watch the game in detail but i i don't know I, i i still like the titans but you know i liked them last week against the cardinals so what do i know right well i i just saw this happened earlier today uh, Milwaukee's Brewer, M- Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Ryan Braun, a, a like franchise, not legend, but I mean he he's been a big staple of that team for a long time. He retired today. Your thoughts? Uh, you know it's hard on all of us. Uh, you know, as I was a Brewers fan in uh, the 2012-2014 range, just based on how <laughs> old you said this guy sounded like he was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, baseball like. Shohei Otani is my my boy. Uh, obviously, I'm a big Shohei Otani fan. What Everything else in does baseball Shohei Otani is play. Will uh, he's a pitcher and a really good hitter. It, it, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> so, in that, the, didn't you ask what position? I mean, you, you pitcher, yes. Nailed it. What does he What does he play in the yeah. field? Out. <laughs> yes, I, he got it right. <laughs> he go. got it right. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to flex on you like this and embarrass you in front of uh, in your pants, but, uh, you know, Shohei Otani, international megastar, of course I know that he's a pitcher. I, I mean, I didn't know, but uh, he's he's the only person whose uh, highlights I'll click on, and I think that's the only redeemable part about baseball. One last thing before we get to Stop the Nonsense. I meant to bring this up when we were talking about the defense. Why is Danico Autry being out-snapped by Laurel Murchison? And then today, Terrell Williams is like, you know, we figured those guys are probably going to play the same amount of snaps this year. Like, what is happening? Uh, hopefully, they're just really high on Laurel Murchison, and he's going to break out in his second year. I'm hoping that's it, because we paid Danico Autry a lot of money. Well, not a lot, but I mean, $7 million per year is a good amount for a 30-year-old you know, defensive lineman. He should be playing more than Lorel Murchison, who was a fifth-round rookie last year that didn't play a lot. Uh, I'll say this: like I think Lorel Murchison looked pretty—I mean, pretty solid. Like for for Jacob what it's worth, yeah, he's, yeah, he's not no, making no, no. nine million dollars. Why? Why right, did they? But, but they also, don't so, play in the same position. So that that quote I mean, is they even. Do both. Weird. They do both kind of play defensive. I, look, so here's what I think. I think it's just one of those stylistic matchups that you're going to hear a lot about, like just from Vrabel, <laughs> even though he only changes things like once every year. But I, I think that because Danico Autry's like, what, 280, 290, something like that? I don't know. 285, I think. Murchison's like three 300. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess, I guess reference. I that sounds like when Vray was like, we thought this was a Deion Lewis game. But like Laurel Murchison is more laterally like explosive. Like he can move down the line better. Like he could, if somebody was juking him out, like he could stick with them better than 
Autry could, who's more of a guy who you want to put him in a four eye and like you want to just say, okay, line up in, in your B gap. If they give you a double team or slide to you, that's okay. If you get an edge, you're strong enough to go through somebody. I guess what I'm just saying is like, I, I think that it makes sense if they think that Murchison is a better guy to chase in the pocket. But if they're going against a stationary quarterback or like Carson Wentz or somebody in a couple of weeks, it should be Danico Autry getting 75% of the snaps, especially in pass rushing situations. All right, it's time for Stomp the Nonsense. I will lead us off this week. I My nonsense is so – you're going to think it's going in one direction, but it's going to end up going in another direction. The story that I'm going to reference is, uh, let me get the name correct. I had it in front of me, and then ESPN glitched out. Okay, Florida State offensive lineman Brady Scott proposed to his uh, girlfriend, now presumably fiance, after the team lost its game to Jacksonville State on Saturday. My stop the nonsense is not that. Like, good for him, awesome, super cool. My stop the nonsense is for all these people that are piling on him. So like, the, the picture of this proposal has gone viral because as he's proposing to his, his girlfriend, in the background, Jacksonville State players are still celebrating over the fact that they just massively upset Florida State. And it's like, man, this is disgraceful. This this got to be Photoshopped. This, just shut up. Guy proposed to his girlfriend. He probably thought it was going to be a win. It wasn't. What do you want him to say? We'll we'll hold off until we win the next game. No. You're ready to propose to your girlfriend. Propose, right? I I think people are too, like, like it's just football, guys. Like, they're they're real people. Like, he doesn't, he's allowed to propose after a loss, guys. Like, that just bugged me. The volume of people going after this guy. Some of them were doing it in jest. Like, PFT Commenter and the Barstool guys were doing it in jest. But there were, like, some, like, former players that were, like, like dogging him. Like, man, this can't be real. And, like, what a disgrace. I'm like, come on, man. No, I mean, I agree with them. Totally unprofessional from a college athlete who doesn't get paid and can kind of do whatever he wants it was absolutely ridiculous for him to get clowned for that i don't i don't i don't see the need for it he could do whatever he wants what's it what's more what's more important college football or possibly the love of your life who you're going to spend the rest of your life with will is going to say college football (laughs) no as as the only one of us who's married that's true I i can say it's it's definitely the proposal part that that is i mean a bigger issue is just how in society that you know people think that they're entitled to any sort of opinion on when you propose to somebody, you know, like, yes, if the other person says yes, you know, first of all, it's none of the, none of these observers business anyway, but if the other person says yes and doesn't feel slighted by it, who cares? Like, who are you to get in somebody's moment or, you know, you don't know, like maybe it's her birthday. I mean, maybe all of her family's at that game. And, you know, that was the plan the whole time. Like, you know, it's it's not he didn't see them losing in the background and say, this feels like a perfect time to do it. I just have to find that ring somewhere like I mean, it was obviously part of a plan. The game didn't go well. He'll he'll remember the day and it'll be a funny story. Shut up and mind your business like I'm I'm with you. I don't like that. Um, while I'm hot, I'll go ahead and say this. So 
my stop the nonsense is people who and and I guess this is a very pointed because it, I, I said that I thought Tannehill played well on Sunday. I don't think that's crazy. I'm with you I think. There. I, I mean, it, thank you. Like there, there were times where you're, you're welcome. You know, <laughs> I mean, on the goal line, he ran in the touchdown because Derrick Henry got stuffed twice. Um, there was a third, third or fourth down conversion in the middle of the field at a crucial point when the game was still relatively close. And, you know, he converted it with his legs, even though he'd been taking hit after hit after hit from his blind side. Like, I, I mean, I think he did not not exceptionally well because nobody did exceptionally well because the circumstances weren't there. But when I said he did well, it, it was like I, I had said that he should win the MVP or something. I mean, people got in my mentions and they're like, I can't believe you thought Tannehill played well. He looked like Tannehill in Miami. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, shut up. Like, don't like. You know, don't catch a block for something so stupid. Like, it Tannehill did the best he could in an offense that didn't fit him, and he still tried to drag, you know, whatever that offense was towards some points, and he was even in the game late when it didn't matter, and his left tackle was in slash out. Like, I mean, I, I, I you know, give the guy some slack. Like, I know everybody wants to say if Henry doesn't have 200 yards, then everybody did a bad job. And, you know, the team can only thrive when your favorite player does well. But, I mean, y'all have got to start looking at what Tannehill's actually doing and the people he has around him. Because, I mean, that game would have been 45-0 to zero without Tannehill. But uh, that that's my stop the nonsense yeah. is people who want to tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. No, you're right. Other than that one dinky screen to AJ that he just misfired, I thought Tannehill did as best he could, given the circumstances. Matias, bring us home. Yeah, my uh, stop the nonsense is Kyle Shanahan. He, he's, he's starting to bother me. Most of this is fantasy-related, but it's kind of also Didn't he just football like win by a related. massive margin on Sunday? They won by a single touchdown. It was 33 to 10 points. at one point. Yes, it was. They almost lost that game to the Lions. Wow. Yeah, anyway, wow. I was cheering for the Lions, by the way. But what really pissed me off, oh, man, this pissed me off. I have Trey Sermon on a couple of fantasy teams, okay? And yes, of course, I'm biased. But his reasoning for, he, first of all, he made him inactive. Uh, on game day, uh, knowing full well that Raheem Moster could get injured at any moment. Uh, and I think technically his reasoning was that the other running backs uh, who are an undrafted rookie, Jamichael Hasty and Elijah Mich- Mitchell, a sixth round rookie, play special teams. Moster gets injured. Well, I was in the able first- talking about Rashad Weaver. I hate that stuff. It's it's the worst, but it's even worse because Trey Sermon uh, all of all of preseason, he was running with the starters, or at least with with uh, you know the 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 backups uh, when Mostert needed a breather or whatever. He was like the clear number two through OTAs, through training camp, through the preseason. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he makes a, a healthy scratch because he can't play uh, special teams. Apparently, apparently that yeah, that's what he said. Um, and then Mostert gets injured on like the first series of the game, and then they have to give Elijah Mitchell 19 carries or whatever. 
Uh, and, I mean, he did fine. But, I mean, this is a guy you traded up for. A running back that you traded up into the third round for that you spent draft capital on, and you're making him a healthy scratch the first week of the season when you've been playing him with the starters in the preseason. I, I just, I, 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 I feel like coaches... This happens a lot. Coaches just think they're the smartest people in the room and everything has to be perfect and they know exactly what they're doing. And then you almost lose to the Lions who are projected to be possibly the worst team in the league uh, by eight points and you give up 33 points to them. So I am officially not cheering for the Niners this season. Uh, one, one more honorary mention is uh, the fact that this is we're recording this on Tuesday night at uh, the Saints have like a mini COVID outbreak, and I saw that this nobody, morning. But I was, yeah, I was, I was actually about, about to it. use the restroom, so I never actually read the list. Yeah, like I, I believe it's like five staff members, like two coaches and a player, and like no, nobody's batting an eye. Like it's the second year in a row where the Titans have had like an outbreak, and then everybody's like burn them at the stake, and then somebody else has an outbreak, and they're like, ah, oh, wasn't Jameis cool on Sunday? Did you see his post game presser? That's so neat. Like I, it, it's very aggravating. Also, I just found Josh Gordon is back. Oh, and like that's it, another stop the nonsense. Can we yeah. stop with Josh Gordon, Barry McCockner, future guest of this podcast, Barry McCockner? He was going to come on during the Tampa Bay week, uh, but he got suspended from Twitter. So that's going to happen eventually. But Barry tweeted. <laughs> He said, I hope Josh Gordon makes the most of his 98th chance. I'm sure this will be the time he stays clean. And then he said, Josh Gordon's suspensions are like the Saw movies. There's a bleep load of them, and they're all so similar that it's almost impossible to identify them without using Google. And if you think that I don't want the Titans to sign him yeah. and use him as a slot <laughs> receiver or like or use him to kick Julio inside, Dude, you're out of your I, mind. I'm actually in like a rare group. I've seen him play NFL football in person before. Because when New England played here and got their tails whipped by the Titans a few years back, he was playing with Brady in that yeah. game. That was yeah. weird. That was like really that was Brady's too. first like, reclamation like, project. I watched him, I'm like, yeah, I can see why that guy was such a stud with Cleveland. Yeah, anyway. like, he was a freak. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Hopefully the Titans' performance on Sunday against Seattle is a little better. Remember, it's not a noon game. It's a 3.25 p.m. Central game. So keep that in mind. And until we are back next week for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.